0: It's the Beer Bona Show, broadcast almost live in Portland on X-Ray FM and in Vancouver at KXRW, or available anywhere on your favorite podcast service. I'm Patrick Emerson, professor of economics at Oregon State University, and with me, as always, is Jeff Allworth, author of several books about beer, including the Beer Bible, a book about cider, Cider Made Simple. I'm, free, I'm freelancing now. A couple of a book of fiction.
1: That's kind of a deep cut because <laughs> I think 14 people read that cider book. So is that right? Yeah, it did not, not a s- big seller. It did not sell well.
0: <laughs> well, you can actually uh, before we even get into the band, we can get right into business. You can disabuse me of this notion, but uh, I've been reading that cider is sort of still going kind of strong. Is that correct?
1: Um, I don't know. So right. what? One fascinating little thing is. Um, in in the absence or in the, the period of time when we were not podcasting, yes, we had an ice storm. We did during that ice storm. Yes, was Portland Cider Week. Oh no! And CiderCon held oh, right here in no, Portland. Oh
0: no no no! So did it all get canceled or just get lightly attended?
1: Uh, I think everybody was sort of huddled at the yeah. uh, convention center able to go one block in, in any direction uh, uh, yes. there were a bunch of people that i that were in town that i thought i might meet up with and it just, none of that happened yeah
0: you're if you could get to the main roads, you're okay but getting there could be really tricky because i mean it was just glazed over with ice I, we tried to just walk a few blocks and you were basically just skating along my wife has those like uh, tracks that you put on the bottom of your shoes to run and stuff and that helped but still not not perfect but anyway that's too bad yeah uh i w- uh i don't know if we've mentioned this on previous but i don't think so but that um uh son of man uh-huh. cidery uh-huh won a couple of big medals in basque country which was pretty amazing
1: that is amazing so that is a basque style cidery here in oregon mm-hmm. uh yeah actually jasper is i can't remember jasper's last name one of the guys that founded that or the guy and i, I was writing that book or had just finished and we sat down and chatted when he was thinking of starting that cidery. Oh, really?
0: I'm not the biggest cider fan. I'll just out myself because I just find the sort of underlying sweetness for most ciders that I try a little too much to just kind of have glass after glass.
1: Ah, well, now you get into the issue there.
0: Well, yeah, but their cider, maybe this bass style, is much more funky and dry. And they have one, I think they just call it, Apparently, it just means table cider or something. Segredo, isn't that? Cigardo. Um, Cigardo, I think, is the word. Uh, that, that, that one. It just means cider. Oh, okay, just means cider. That's what it means. Uh, that one won a metal and that I really like.
1: They only make one style in, in uh, the Basque country. It's just cider. Ah. And, uh, so it's that's,
0: a, that's their version of that style? Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, that's really good. I could drink that a lot.
1: So that's, I think, to get back to your original question, do what are, are the side? fortunes of cider looking like? <laughs> you know, for a huge amount of time cider was equivalent to angry orchards performance they constituted 50 or more percent of the market yeah yeah, and so when they were going up it looked really good when they were going down it looked really bad and i don't actually know how craft ciders are doing you know if you're a little yeah and
0: unfortunately my brain is too old to have retained the key details uh (laughs) that i read i don't remember where i read it or what i read it was just some kind of data i think it was on craft cider and uh something about sales being robust but um don't quote me because i can't quote it Excellent. Anyway, how you been? You're, you've you been a world traveler. I have. Which uh, is kind of the point of this pod. But just to ease us into this pod, yes. w- welcome home.
1: Thank you. I, be- I, I thought I was done with my jet lag, but then when we sat down to record, I felt very tired. Although I also woke up early and that
0: might also be a jet lag thing. Yeah, well, you're also overconfident about how little jet lag affects you. Uh, oh, no, I am not. I was saying that it's worse now for me at this age than it was ten years ago. Ah. Well And you I, were denying no, that that's true for you. Yeah, that's not that was not true for me.
1: There was a time in Germany, uh, in one of my trips ten years ago or more, when I couldn't sleep at all and I was pulling my hair out. I was kind of going crazy. <laughs> that's the worst. <laughs> it was really, really bad. It was day after day after when
0: day. When you're there and you can't sleep and yeah. you're trying to travel and move and use a lot of energy. Yeah, that is the worst. I've experienced that from time to time, but luckily not prolonged period yeah but so, that also explains our our absence of podcasting apologies yes. it's all jeff's fault
1: it's true it is i'll take the hit
0: <laughs> you made it out before the ice prevented you from doing so so that was good
1: sort of yeah it was bad the ice storm was supposed to be done uh, days before i flew out on a friday uh and it really wasn't we have a friend named eric who has a truck maybe the only truck driver i know in portland and he came over and picked me up to take me to the airport which was nice so i was able to get to the airport yeah. i knew that if i could get out uh, i would be fine because i flew through uh, denver and i was looking at the weather and it was like 50 degrees in denver so yeah. there would be no snowstorm there if i could just get to the airport which i did
0: good good uh and we'll we'll getting into a deep dive into your travels but you went to check republican hungary
1: Prague and Budapest only. I did not get
0: out of the cities. So yeah. Okay. More specifically. Yes. Uh, And by the time you returned, I guess, was weather good? Yeah, sort of.
1: I mean, it was cold there and wintry and then I got back and it was kind of cold and wintry. Cold and wintry here. It was kind of, (laughs) it was a, there was a little brief period of of warmth and sunshine, but that is gone. (laughs) Uh, Here, we're, it's it's an early February as as we record this and um, it's, you know, in the 40s and raining, and it's not very pleasant out there.
0: Dry January is over. Yeah. Uh, so this is a little old, but I did uh, note your um, promotion of non-dry, non-dry January. Pub January. Pub January. <laughs> to go to pubs. By the way, speaking of it, and I don't know why this uh, I'm even bothering mentioning it, but one of the, the after effects of the ice storm was a whole bunch of damage to lots of places, and one of the places I saw was uh, Steeplejack's West Side location got hammered <laughs> poor yeah, guys
1: i saw that too i think did they have w- water damage? well it was a frozen pipe yeah. but
0: i think it was like unnoted you know because it was empty during the storm right i think it was not realized for a long time and then it had done copious damage uh, yeah, which is too bad it is too bad Hopefully. so another reason to get out and support your local publican local yeah craft brewer
1: on that note i mean we are past january but uh i know that You know, people in the industry have not had a great year as it is, and uh, January is always the worst year. So dry January, I get why everybody does dry January, Mm -hmm. but it's a (laughs) it's a real crisis for people who own uh, (laughs) places where you would buy a beer. And and as I tried to point out, you can actually go down to the pub and support them without drinking alcohol. I was gonna
0: say, yeah, they've got other beverages for you. Yeah, I wonder how much. um, Actually, I haven't haven't been out that much, but you know, the non alcoholic beer craze is. Catching on. I wonder how many lo- local craft brewers are doing it. They kind of have to do a cruder version probably, but, you yeah, they can do it.
1: Yeah, they do do them, and I don't know if they are cruder. I think maybe the state-of-the-art is up to date maybe brewers know how to make that when we when we interviewed athletic
0: we were one of the first (laughs) media outlets i feel pretty i feel pretty prescient about that yeah those guys are kicking butt totally
1: uh i think at that point they figured out a thing that other people hadn't figured out which is one reason why they got such an advantage
0: well so they said yes they were very um tight-lipped about their proprietary technology so i don't know could be could be something new could just be something they're coy about that actually wasn't new. but it's true, although they were making, I think, a better
1: product than yes. their contemporaries at the time. Yeah,
0: I think there's a reason why they've done so well, because their, their beers are quite good. Totally. Um, so, yeah, so you can be dried January. You can go and have a have a soft drink. That's right. Not necessarily a, and hard a burger. drink. A burger, hang out. Um, yeah. Uh, so, maybe we should uh, turn to the pod all right let's do it <laughs> all right we'll talk even more about the things we're already talking, we're talking about. about exactly because i want to keep asking you about your trip and i realized we better actually introduce the topic before i do so so today we're going to go to prague and budapest you nice like you like that yeah,
1: i like that
0: <laughs> <laughs> i don't even know if that's correct but it, it is good. correct uh where jeff just spent 10 days uh, he was there to speak to the central european brewers conference he wasn't just there to Speak to the conference. You were there to deliver the keynote address. That's true. <laughs> let's let's give yourself some props. <laughs> You're too modest in your script. Uh, and he had a chance to get caught up on one of the beer scene. Uh, get caught up on the beer scenes in the region. <laughs> You know, I can, I, I can, I, I can I edit on I the really, fly. I told you I was really tired. What are you saying about jet lag? <laughs> <laughs> he got caught up on the beer scenes. Uh, the countries there have very diverse brewing backgrounds, from the Czech Republic with local intact traditions dating back centuries, to countries like Croatia with old domestic breweries and very young craft breweries. He's going to tell us what he found. All that soon, but first, The news. In the first news item, in 2021, the Oregon Health Authority commissioned a study to look at the benefits and drawbacks of increasing taxes on beer and wine in the state of Oregon. The findings were counterintuitive. Research at Eco Northwest found that a tax wouldn't much affect alcoholism or risky drinking behavior. The public never heard about the study, however, because the agency buried it and it went ahead with a PR campaign the next year called Rethink the Drink, promoting a message contradicted by the report's findings. It's especially relevant because a high-profile effort to raise beer taxes has been building steam for the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting topic, an interesting incident, and I think the Oregon Health Authority did not (laughs) really shower itself in glory there.
0: Yeah. You
1: you do a report, you got to report what the report says, you know?
0: And here's the thing, it's not at all surprising, because uh, uh, here we go with the econ uh <laughs> that's what you're here for <laughs> <laughs> let's talk price elasticity of demand so elasticity is just a, a measure of um, sensitivity to change and the price elasticity of things like alcohol um, uh, can be fairly price elastic but when you look at people who are um, dependent on alcohol so if th- in this case it's risky behaviors but also um uh, what, what did you say? Uh, alcoholism. Yeah. Um, I wasn't sure if you used the term, so I'm making sure. Uh, <laughs> these are people who are not particularly price sensitive. So an alcoholic gets their alcohol, right. um, uh, sort of regardless the price, um, or just switches from a higher priced alcohol to a lower priced alcohol. Right. Uh, and I imagine if you're talking about risky behaviors, you're talking about sort of like binge drinking and things like that And in that in that case, you're probably also not very price sensitive So these are the areas in which you don't expect consumers to be price sensitive. The same is true. For example with cigarettes um, Things you become addicted to so addictive substances in general um, And also things that it's not easy to find a, an alternative now, maybe in Oregon you could switch to cannabis and um, but I don't think alcoholics think of cannabis the same way. It's really not the same. Um, so, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. And I'm I'm surprised they felt they needed to suppress it.
1: Yeah, I, I I did too. I was worried. I wondered about that as well. I mean, I think everybody would like to address problem drinking in all its forms. Yeah. Um, and rational adults should get together and figure out how to do that in ways that are efficacious. And you need to look at research to figure out what good... Solutions are going to be. I mean,
0: it's possible that uh, no one's going to ha- be happy with me saying this. I suppose uh, in the industry, but it's possible. Like in cigarettes, they increase taxes so much that over the long term, we saw a big decline. How much is exactly due to the taxes? How much is due to public information campaigns and changing habits? Who knows? But um, there are there are ways you could. But but that's like doubling, tripling, quadrupling the price, um, so.
1: which is the proposal in Oregon. Um, the last few times they promote. Pr- uh, proposed this at the legislative level they're looking at like tripling or quadrupling the price uh, of the excise tax on breweries
0: uh, that's tripling the tax though but i'm talking about it. literally tripling the price
1: tripling the price gotcha
0: so a one dollar pack of cigarettes becomes a three dollar pack of cigarettes then you start seeing some but usually the effects t- take a while to, to kick in
1: and i think with cigarettes the reason is because the effects are are a barrier to entry for new
0: new users yeah uh,
1: yeah so it's like you said, if you're already addicted, it's probably <laughs> you're gonna keep paying or or you know at some point use it as an, as a good reason to
0: to get off cigarettes, but yeah. yeah, anyway, I think I think in relevant to our podcast, craft beer, one of the things that I think is nice about the that the uh craft beer is it's not uh it's a premium product, yes, um it's something. That I think people enjoy more for the flavor and experience than for just the, the al- raw alcohol in it.
1: And I have some data on that. Oh, uh, it's Let's it's go. Uh, it's not precise. It's going to be by memory. But uh, recently, somebody had uh, one of those. You know, you, you find these articles where they'll say, "Who drinks the most beer by state?" And they uh, they have a, a map and they show you. And I looked at it, and Oregon was kind of in the middle and it made me curious because i know that oregon uh is you know we have some real negative outcomes with alcohol so i was curious about that and i looked it up and there was a federal report that that talked about uh how much we drink uh in beer spirits and wine right and we drank uh right about the average in terms of beer uh so say what you will but average not (laughs) not excessive um and i think we drank a little less spirits or maybe just a little bit more i think we drank a lot of was wine so ah, we, yeah. <laughs> so there you go and but you know again that's probably pretty good pretty expensive wine so again i'm not sure how to interpret all of this there are many variables there yeah
0: <laughs> i'm also uh, heavily influenced by my own anecdotal experience which is uh, i grew up with an alcoholic my father was and in the depths of his alcoholism, he was buying like gallon jugs of Gallo and uh-huh. very cheap alcohol just, <laughs> just to get the alcohol. So yeah. uh, that's that that shape that basically informs my <laughs> view of alcoholism, my totally. firsthand experience. Uh, All right, the second we, yep. one. Yep. Uh,
1: right? Are we right on the we second are, one? Yes. Okay. Are you you are we done talking
0: on the first one? We are done talking on the first one. You have my permission to move forward.
1: In economic news, Ooh. we have we finally have some good news. In a recent podcast, Patrick introduced us to the concept of the producer price index. Did I? The measure of wholesale inflation. You did. <laughs> nice. And it was really, I thought it was, uh, it, we were talking about the pressures on the industry and you pointed uh-huh. out okay. the producer price index as opposed to just inflation, which I thought was quite valuable. Okay. I do want to, do I, I didn't expand on this because it's outside my bailiwick and I did not want to look like a chump. Do you want to ex- expand that or is that adequate?
0: Uh, It's pretty much adequate. It's just the the price of of intermediate goods or inputs, raw materials and intermediate goods that producers use to make final goods. Right. So uh, according to the St. Louis Fed, in 2022,
1: the PPI increased 5.7% for breweries. It's interesting they have an Mm. actual stat specifically for the brewing industry, which is fantastic. Yeah, it is. So um, that's pretty high, but that figure dropped all the way to 0.7% in 2023. Yay. Yay. Overall, uh, U.S. consumer prices rose uh, 3.4% in 2023. So possibly this will give breweries a little...
0: It should cause a little uh, easing of the intense pressures. Because what we were talking about now, I remember the discussion, we were talking about how they're facing all this cost pressure and and trying hard not to pass it on to consumers who have limits (laughs) on how much you can just keep passing on to consumers. Yeah, And so... um, uh, they're getting really squeezed, so this might help ease that pressure. Do you know was twenty twenty three a good year for hop and barley? Do you have any, have any idea about the growing year?
1: Uh, I don't. I, I didn't see anything about barley, which typically means it was fine. Yeah. Uh, the hop uh,
0: situation was sort
1: of fascinating. We already had a, a pretty big surplus of hops mm-hmm. in the United States, and so growers. Uh, reduced acreage by a significant amount, maybe ten percent or something, right? And then we had a banner year, and we actually produced more hops this year than we did oh, in really? twenty in ah, twenty two.
0: Okay,
1: <laughs> uh, because sometimes that happens. So the yield was way up, and
0: um, well, that's that's good for prices too. Y- yeah,
1: yeah, yes. it's, it's it's good for it's good for uh, prices for breweries. It's Not so good for growers. So,
0: well, uh, what I mean. Uh, to suggest is that if growers are reducing their acreage by 10%, they're presumably planting something else. And so if they're getting as much or more uh, production from their uh, acres due to the hops, and then they get the extra revenue from whatever else they're planting. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So, in that sense, yes. that's kind of good. I mean yield higher yields is generally a good thing that's right it's it's a very big deal i would suggest (laughs) i'm not a farmer myself but (laughs) yeah i I think i think you're right on that one uh all right well um thanks for that news uh and that's good news i'm glad to hear that uh and that should help keep uh beer prices down which have you know the prices have been seeping into the retail side so um
1: yeah they sure have Mm -hmm. uh i think uh, it would be interesting to hear from from the listeners about what the prices are in their in their regions. We are now at seven dollars a pint. That's the standard pint I think in Portland. Um, you know, it goes up and down depending
0: on twelve, thirteen dollars a six pack these days for good craft beer. Often, yeah,
1: yeah. Discount if you're looking if you're walking through the aisle looking for the discount, if you can find it for ten a six pack, it's a it's a hell of a steal. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, it's a lot.
1: It's a lot. So. Uh, yeah.
0: Uh, all right. So let's um let's fly on over to uh to Europe to Central Europe to Central Europe. Well, it's it's is it the Czech Republic by the way, or is it Czechia? I never know.
1: It is Czechia.
0: Oh, Czechia. Okay. Czechia.
1: Yes. Uh, I I visited uh my colleague Evan Rail, <laughs> mm-hmm. who is a <laughs> California transplant, who mm-hmm. now has lived in the Czech Republic for. Uh, Twenty plus years. Wow, has a Czech wife and I guess Czech children. He has children there, and um, I, I suspect that their identity is much more uh, Czech than California.
0: <laughs> I suspect, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Evan corrected me when I said Chechia and said Czechia, Czechia. which Czechia. kind of makes sense. Czech, Czech Republic, Czechia, Czechia. Okay, yeah, yeah, totally makes sense. Um, both are both are still in use. There's no apparently no preference uh, okay so interesting good yeah that
0: makes me happy because I, I don't have to think about it <laughs> exactly
1: czechoslovakia no good yes that one's for old man yes that's uh that one's out
0: <laughs> that's still it's hard to purge from your mind it is but, i know uh, no i think about. i purged that a while ago so that's good so uh so let me just let's get your itiner- itinerary you flew into prague
1: I flew into Prague and I was there on the ground for three days. And then Evan and I took a train. Evan was the MC for the conference gotcha. in Budapest. And we took a train uh, to Budapest. It was about seven hours. Mm-hmm. It was a, an extremely pleasant uh, trip because Evan and I, who are both freelance writers, kibitzed and commiserated, <laughs> and talked about the woes of being the freelance writer, which we don't have so many people that we can do. Yes, have those kind of conversations with. So that was that was really nice. Yeah, that was yeah. good to see Evan.
0: Uh, and uh, the lingua franca of the conference was English, I presume.
1: Absolutely, like, yeah. Thank I, goodness. <laughs> I feel really guilty as an ignorant American that I have not learned languages like uh, the extremely difficult Hungarian language, which is spoken by not very many people and is mm-hmm. a language group all to itself, and not very many people speak that language group. Um, but it would have been nice if I had. Shown my respect by doing that, but I didn't have to because everybody speaks English as a second language. So you just
0: swan around like an American. Exactly. So there are many bad aspects, but, you know, thank the British Crown for that, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. It's a, it's a delightful uh, coincidence that yeah. uh, English has kind of become the second language for many uh, uh, foreigners. So Thank goodness.
1: Yeah, when you're in Europe, you, you you can watch people. <laughs> drink Americans. <laughs> yeah, you and it. You can watch people from you know somebody will come from, uh, you know France or Italy or a, another country and speak to a Hungarian, and they will speak in English because it is the it is the language that they share, and so it's uh, it's very cool <laughs> for me. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, the most annoying thing, and this of course is most common in paris but uh i speak pretty good french and so i go and i'm speaking french and they'll just respond in english because they know already and they're just like too fed up with my you know pretty darn decent french like maybe not perfect but come on yeah, uh you most other countries they're very happy if you try that to speak true. their language
1: that is true but you were butchering it with your terrible western oh, american oh no
0: oh no accent. i like in, like accent free you know <laughs> near perfect <laughs> French, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Actually, I'm much better. I'm much better at, at uh, pronouncing an accent than I am at um, the actual grammar. <laughs> I always get praised on my accent, but uh, not so much on my grammar. Uh, okay, so um, tell yeah, us. So, so
1: I had three days in, in in the Czech Republic, which was great because it has been a decade since I've been there, uh, which is way too long, and I hadn't ever really explored Prague as a as a kind of a, just a tourist. And got to hang out. Um, The two times I've been to Czech Republic before, it's been uh, one brewery after another. We went to the hop harvest one time. Mm -hmm. um, And so I I got to see a lot of, I've seen a lot of extremely cool things in the Czech Republic, but it's all specifically beer related. And I didn't even have such a good sense of the layout of Prague and, uh, you know, so that was really cool. And you
0: had the distinct advantage in my view of going there in January. Because I I visited in Czech Uh, Prague in 2017 but I was there in of course I was there in July and just you know it's a it's really cool old part of the city but it's not very big and it's easily overrun by tourists in the summer that's basically you're just like Cheek, jow. cheek to jaw, cheek to jowl. What is the phrase anyway? Yeah, chock a block full of tourists. At the risk
1: of spoiling a great thing, uh, <laughs> Prague in January is amazing. Yeah, the planes were not full, go. and they ran on time, and I got there, and there were no tourists, and it was kind of snowy, so it had a storybook quality. Perfect. Um, everything remains open, so um, you know it's not like things shut down like they do in. Right province town or the oregon coast or something in the, in the middle of winter so you you still have access to everything and it's a lot easier to get to those places yeah. um so it's it's really quite remarkable
0: yeah uh, i said to my wife when we were there in july i said i said Prague's really cool but i'd love to come back in the winter <laughs> and truly check it out <laughs> i mean
1: if you're a, you know if you're at, if you're listening to this podcast you're a beery type person mm-hmm. and so there's nothing cooler than walking from a you know, a bracing wintry that's January right. day it's into a outside. warm pub. And those pubs, I mean, this is a country that knows how to drink. Those pubs are just tremendous. They're so <laughs> cozy and so lovely. So uh, yeah. And that's another thing that I wanted to do when I was there was um, instead of just uh, going to breweries and really trying to get a good sense of uh, the process and and get my head around uh, the technical aspects, I was much more interested this time in, in the sensory aspects. Um, particularly because it's been 10 years, so I wanted to kind of clarify my, if I'm remembering it right, mm-hmm. do the beer still taste like I expected
0: them to? Um, and you got a chance to sort of get a feel for pub culture, which is my favorite thing.
1: Yes, yes, that that was a lot of fun. Uh, and, and you know, at, to your point, you could walk into a pub and, and find a place, and it wasn't crazy.
0: Uh, yeah, and so Czech is a country, uh, sorry, uh, Czechia is a yes. country with um, uh, a very, very ancient old tradition in beer does it have a a craft a sort of a newish craft beer scene or this was a fascinating thing
1: uh when i was there in the first time i went was 2012 and then i went back again in 2014 Mm -hmm. so roughly a decade ago uh, craft breweries were starting to pop up all over the place and they were into uh american craft beer yeah um they were making ideas basically (laughs) yeah and I was introduced to the, one of the first places I went. They pointed to... I was at a pub, uh, I believe in Pilsen, and they pointed to a, the, the tap list and said, have you tried the Epa? And I thought, you know, I had learned everything, so this epa what, what weird style is an epa that i've never heard of and of course i realized they were pointing at the ipa the interesting thing that's happened in that 10 years since i was there and there was some excitement in, among these small breweries for american styles is those seem to have collapsed those breweries still exist wow. but they're really leaning much more on the classic czech styles interesting so i think uh
0: they 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 didn't quite get their wedge in and yeah. create a whole scene, huh?
1: And and the, the amount of ales sold in the Czech Republic, according to Evan, is somewhere less than 1% or around 1%. Wow. So they're just not, <laughs> they are not a thing. Um, and I went to, uh, there's a brewery called Matushka that was kind of an, a famous brewery when I was there before. It was one of the first kind of popular breweries to do the IPA thing. Yeah. And they still had a couple of those beers, but um, they they're, they're kind of two flagship brands were a, a 12% and a a 10, a 10 degree and a 12 degree pale lager classic, like you'd find in every other brewery. And, and those, and I had, I sampled their through their beers and those were by far their best beers. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think you, they, these are, these are people who think through, think think about lager and understand beer, uh, and the, you know, in the lager mode and they know how to make lager. And, uh, they don't, I think, do a credible job with IPAs in the way that we do, mm-hmm. and we, you know, Americans, we think our own way. So I think this is a constantly when I go to a place where there is uh, a culture of beer. Um, the I'm I'm amazed at how fixed those cult that those you know the 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 style of beer is in the culture and kind of how unchangeable it is. Even if things move in some directions, um, like this this time. There were a lot more uh, dark loggers, which was nice, mm-hmm. uh, and I think I'm seeing a shift away from when I was there before. The 10 degree pub logger was the most popular style, and now it's become the 12 degree. So you see shifts. Yeah. You know, you go to, you go yeah. to uh, Bavaria and you see shifts like that too. But it but it exists in a context where that thing doesn't change very much much. So um, that was that was pretty fascinating to me. Uh, we we did go to a brewery that does. Uh, it's an American craft brewery. That, um, Evan took me out there, and we we hung out with Alish Potashill, I think Alish Potashill. I'm probably gonna get that name wrong. Sorry, Alesh. Um And they do cool American styles, and yet their classic uh, beer is a uh, a 12 degree Pilsner. Right. Um, and they they did one of my my beers of the trip. They did a, a Tamale that was just tremendous and now instead of going more to the craft style they're experimenting with an even more baroque uh old school uh, right. uh pilsner so they're using this they're doing triple decoction almost every brewery that does uh lagers and check does check does uh double decoction mm-hmm. only pilsner well really does sticks with triple but these guys were allish is going back to triple and using an old school hop and you know so it's it's interesting that it's it, the shift has really gone away from yeah. looking outward uh, briefly <laughs> yeah. to looking inward and this is a thing that I learned from uh, Evan is and it, I somehow I never really noticed it but man is it true the checks are incredibly insular And they just don't care about the rest of the world (laughs) for them. They don't, you know, they have some export and -hmm. and I think in the companies where they export the beer, they have some concern about that, but they care so much more about the domestic market and they're really focused on the beer that they make and they don't really care about the beer that other people make. Interesting. And there is a way, does that sound like any place to you? Reminded me a lot of Oregon.
0: Oh, oh, okay. You know, we, <laughs> I was we thinking brew, another European country. We
1: brew our own beer and we don't send a lot of it out. And people often wonder, you know, what does Oregon beer taste like? We never get it out here. It's like, yeah, well, we we drink it all ourselves. Yeah, yeah, that's and, a good point.
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, I was just gonna say it. it uh, I feel like, and probably data will contradict me, but you know, anecdotes are better anyway. More fun to talk about. I feel like when I'm coming when I go back to England that uh, there's a not not nearly as pronounced, but a similar shift um in that there's still you'll still find western style you know you'll find ipas and west coast ipas and things like that in british pubs and you'll also find you know Carlsberg or i feel like there's more and more uh, uh young customers who are drinking more traditional english styles yeah i wonder about that
1: you've been there more recently than I have. yeah so i'm going back i'm going
0: back again in spring break um see my mom and uh i, I intend to do deep deep research uh, hours and hours of research you should actually do pub. that
1: you should really you should really get out there have you been to I the to. to the bermondsey beer mile no. Maybe you should go check that out no see what the kids are doing
0: i like i just like to pop into the neighborhood pubs those are fascinating to me
1: bermondsey is a it's a railway art it's a it's a street along the railroad oh yeah, yeah
0: with all of the arches arch storage things down yeah, yeah i think you told me of, about this yeah there's
1: a bunch of breweries there so
0: all right all right maybe i maybe i will check a few maybe of those out but yeah know. i just feel i feel like there's sort of a re-embrace of kind of not not like super traditional camera kind of but you know english ales brown ales bitters and things like that um uh that people seem to be drinking more often now It used to be pilsner's all the time like pilsner used to be most of the beer i saw being drunk um and then there was this big push of American-style craft beer, but, um, oh, yeah, let's drink beer since we're talking about beer. What the thing to do while we're talking about beer. Indeed. Uh, Anyway, uh, so I wonder if if that's, like, a trend around um, Europe.
1: I don't know. I I, I, I kind of hope it would be, uh, or will be. Um, I will say that I, I think among the great places to go to drink beer Czech Republic is second to none, and I enjoyed uh drinking half liter after half liter of Czech beer. It it goes down so easy. It's so pleasant. I mean, they're so badass. They pour those beers. They're all the side pours that everybody in America is crazy for. (laughs) They pour them in a New York second and Mm -hmm. they're always perfect. You know, the the head is always the same side size. It always looks gorgeous. Um it's just... Those beers just go down. You can drink too many of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it's just it's just a lovely... Yeah, I mean, I are. don't...
0: I, you know, when I'm traveling and I want to taste the local tradition, I I definitely am not looking for a West Coast IPA. I'm less interested in, say, the Czech version of a West Coast IPA than I am in the Czech version of a Svetli Lezak, you know?
1: <laughs> I had so... You know, you have limited stomach, stomach space. As one human, you can only drink so much beer. Yeah. And uh, I was... Every time I drank a pale ale or a you know an American style beer there, I thought, "Oh, this is one more Bilsner I'm not going to get to drink." <laughs> you have to do it though.
0: So this, so now other parts of Central Europe don't have such a big, long history. Excuse me. Um,
1: yeah, so we should we should transition over to the get get out of Czech, uh, which is a weird anomaly in 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 that part of the region because it does have this intact yeah and uh, and i mentioned
0: that as a perfect uh transition to the thing we're about to drink
1: yes so this is uh okay i'm gonna try this this beer is it's called the dragon brewery but it's a croatian brewery and it's it's uh croatian name is (laughs) good luck uh
0: zamaiska oh oh that that seems like it might even be right.
1: Well, I have I put diacritics, I, I, I put translations down <laughs> there so I could try
0: to pronounce it properly. Nice. Uh,
1: it is Z M A J S K A, and uh, Andre Chapka was Zemeshka.
0: the brewer. The Pivovara.
1: Yeah, and this. So there was a little competition at this festival, right? Yeah. At this conference, and yeah. this won uh, one of the awards. I can't remember. I believe it won a. Uh, a gold medal in in the in the lager category so nice uh, they do and like this them. is also founded 2013 this is croatia's oldest craft brewery nice so uh there you go
0: Unfortunately, well, they've put a they've put a sticker over the yeah the label was... actually has in croatian and in english a description of the beer but it's okay i don't think they say too much
1: i actually got a um, couple of these beers um the brewery handed me one and then after the competition we got some more bottles and this is one of the... apparently i i inadvertently brought home the the
0: uh the competition bottle uh it i can read that it's barley slova uh slo uh slavonian barley Wait a minute, isn't that yeah slovenia slovenia, slovenia slovenian barley. anyway
1: really are you sure it's not slovenian hops
0: it says from barley grown under the Slovenian the Slavonian sun. Oh, Slavonian! I don't know where's Slavonia. Yeah, maybe that's not. Maybe we're maybe we're mixing things up. <laughs> maybe that's a part of Croatia. <laughs> oh no!
1: Yes, possibly so. Uh,
0: Sorry, Andre. <laughs> I'm gonna keep uh, I'm gonna keep excavating the. I'm, the label I'm really ahead. glad that you exposed. Anyway, let's that. talk about the beer. So the beer is a Pilsner. It is. It's light Pilsner. It's lovely.
1: Actually. It is. It is really lovely. Yeah. Uh, I I think. In my experience, the breweries, and we're going to talk all about where they are, uh, the breweries who make these kinds of beers have a big advantage because they have tasted proper lager beer. And uh, the amount of good West Coast American IPAs that they've actually tasted is very little. So they don't really get to be steeped in that. And when you taste this beer, this beer is just spot on. It's uh, quite assertively hopped. Does it say, are these... I'm getting there. Are these saws? I'm getting there.
0: Uh, it doesn't say what. It just says floral hop aromas. And bitterness.
1: It might be tets. They're very... They're, they're nice and That's peppery. It. A little tangy. I like these hops a lot. This is a classic uh, Pilsner. Uh, it's not a Czech Pilsner. Um, it is pretty effervescent. Crisp, dry. Bitter,
0: very nice beer. Very nice beer. Yeah, those hops are lovely. Yeah, they're not quite saz though, are they? They're not as spicy.
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe Tettnanger.
0: I don't know. I don't. I'll take your word for it. Let's call it Tettnanger because that sounds authoritative. <laughs> <coughs>
1: maybe Andre will listen to this and uh, email me afterwards. And say you, you bonehead. Those were <laughs> mm. but <laughs> can, it's beautiful. Can you, can you tell those are mosaic?
0: It's light, as you say, effervescent, very quaffable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only. Uh... 4.8. Is this alcohol by volume? Yeah, 4.8%. Yeah. So it's a nice, easy drinking, light, 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 uh, for okay. our, for US. <laughs>
1: I, I hung out with a couple of the Croatian guys, uh, really Andre and, uh, okay. Now we have to try Matija Mrozik. Matija. Uh, I'm doing my best guys. I don't I'm, <laughs> I'm remembering and... Trying your names at Vera Brewery. We're gonna try. We're gonna try uh, Ver- Verionica. Yeah, that's how I pronounce it. We're gonna try Matea's, uh Pale Ale on next week's show. Yeah. So uh, tune in next
0: time for that.
1: And he also won an award for that beer. Nice. Um, so I, I hung out with these guys and got a little bit of a, a picture into the Croatian scene, which I. Based on what I was hearing elsewhere, I think it's pretty typical. The, the, you know, the scene is quite young. Yeah, uh, the breweries were are in Croatia. They're a decade old. The oldest brewery is, is like you know around. Yeah, it was founded in 2013. So, yeah. um, uh, this this means that it's a pretty vibrant and exciting culture. You know, people are really excited about beer there. Uh, this was typical with all the breweries. Uh, I mean, self selection bias. They were at a conference so yeah <laughs> of course <laughs> they were uh, you know they were the people who were, who were engaged in the industry but every time there's a new industry the new beer industry and i go there i find a similar level of excitement and enthusiasm kind of you know the the, the beginner's mind of uh of, of beer yeah yeah um the big they're one of the biggest things that is really different going to a festival or a conference in 2024 20, is that these poor people barely got their breweries going, and then COVID hit. Right, yeah. And yeah. not only did COVID hit, but then there was a war that came in twenty twenty two. Right, is so that when when it started, early twenty two? Yeah, uh, which affects Central Europe way more than it affects the United States. Right. So fuel prices, especially, but barley was also a big deal. Mm-hmm. All of these countries had pretty substantial inflation and longer. That's finally starting to go down. I was actually on the EU website looking at. Uh, uh, month by month, right? Uh, inflation figures, and they're dropping fairly quickly, like by a percent a month now, and getting down below five percent. But um, you know, until late late last year, late twenty three, they were six uh, percent or higher, depending on which country you're in. Mm-hmm. So all of these are real challenges for little breweries who in, in countries that uh don't really know they exist yet you know you're trying to build an industry out of something and then you get hit like this it's very challenging so they were kind of all very excited to be brewers and very excited to be uh you know trying new things and also hanging by by, (laughs) by their fingernails yeah (laughs) a very thin thread but
0: hopefully the future is brighter uh for them um certainly there's some accomplished brewers there because this is an accomplished beer.
1: <clears throat> yeah, I think that's a fun thing. You know, uh, the 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 Hungarian beers I had, we were in Budapest. Uh, you're, you're correct, it's Budapest. And I talked; I was talking to a local and he said, I really like to emphasize Pest because Pest sounds really bad. <laughs> yeah, I get it. For those who don't know, uh, Buda and Pest were actually individual cities mm-hmm. until... Do you know the year? No, I don't know the year. 1873. Huh? And do you know...
0: And am I correct that they're they're on either side of the uh, Danube?
1: That's correct. And the Danube there is incredibly wide, and right. I see why they were separate uh, cities. It was they weren't connected until the nineteenth century. And you know who the first person to build a, a bridge across there was? Um, no, a Scot and an Englishman.
0: Ah, of course, we had, we had we had bringing the engineers exactly. From Britain. One of them was a.
1: I can't remember. One was like a Scottish or English engineer, and then one was a Scottish or or English builder, and they came over. Uh, I was very surprised when I came off that bridge. It's called the Chain Bridge, that there was this giant monument, uh, and the guy's name was William Clark, which was really (laughs) throwing me. (laughs) As an
0: Oregonian, we associate that name with something else.
1: That's right. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, um, the Hungarian beers I tried, it's a long a long way around the path to get back to the sentence yes uh were mostly ipas uh and hoppy american styles and they huh. were uh forming you know i feel like yes if i could bring those brewers to the united states and hang out with them for a week in portland they would go home and have a better sense of how to craft the beers my sense is that the issue is not nearly uh the problem that, that early American brewers had, which was they didn't know how to brew, right? <laughs> um, they had bad equipment, and they were home brewers, and they didn't they didn't technically understand what they were doing, right? I don't think that's the issue here. I really think it's an issue of, you know, you you gotta. It's like when you go to when I was in the Czech Republic, those beers we didn't talk too much about. Um, we, we could possibly return to that. Those are just weird ass beers, and until you yeah. drunk a bunch of them, I think it's really hard to get your brain around what a Czech beer is, right? Um, right. So that's the same thing with American IPA. I mean, American IPAs are really weird. If you've never had a proper smack you across the face American IPA, it's, it's challenging to imagine how assertive they are and how, you know, bracing.
0: Well, yeah. And, but you can also think of just the evolution of it too, over the last 30 years, uh, you know, a modern West Coast IPA is a really dialed in thing that took decades to sort of arrive at this point where it's Balanced, it's bitter but not too much. It's aromatic but not too sweet. You know, it's dry finished. It's all that stuff. It took a long time for people to figure out both, sort of the mix of ingredients and the techniques and the right yeast to use and just everything. So totally,
1: uh, and it's happening so much faster there. Yeah, you know the 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 lag time between people getting started and learning about it is just you know it took. Yeah. It took a, a good twenty years for American breweries to really learn how to brew beer, yeah. um, and after a decade, you can see that these breweries already know how to brew beer and they're doing yeah. it properly. So
0: information moves fast. But, Informa- yeah, information. But moves so in fast. these in these countries like um, Croatia and uh, um,
1: yeah, we're gonna we're gonna try a Romanian beer here and today. Hungary
0: and Romania. Yeah, so they didn't have an existing ancient beer culture. What? What was sort of the drink of choice, do you know?
1: they I mean, they have domestic lagers, just like everybody else. And when you talk to them, right. the you know, it was interesting. Um, the, the last trip I took to Europe, I went through Central Europe. So I went to Austria and then I went to Poland. Right. And Austria's mass market lagers are really good. Mm. If you brought one of those home and just decanted it into a glass and handed it to a craft beer drinker, they would think that it was whatever, you know, local craft beer you were yep. you're making. And I got to Poland, and I thought, oh, man, maybe this is the thing about Central Europe is their domestic mass-market lagers are just tremendous. Not the case in Poland. (laughs) They were just, they were like old American, uh, you know, they were flaccid and tame and not very interesting, and some of them had weird off flavors. Um, Not so good. And when I was talking to people in places like Romania and Hungary and uh, uh, Croatia, they have those industries. It very, looks very much to me like what it was like in, in the nineteen seventies and eighties in the United States when craft beer was forming. You have these older, older domestic breweries, but they make really boring beer that nobody, you know, gets very excited about.
0: And that presumably was just something they imported from like Germany. I mean, the idea. Yeah, the I think that's and right. Stuff. And maybe
1: I think the Czech Republic does cast quite a wide shadow. At least today, right. I think everybody gets that the Czech Republic. It's it is funny though. The Czech Republic. Um, uh is so insular and you get a sense of that in budapest too because it's just budapest um it's close and you would kind of expect that a brewery, you know a, a country with such a august brewing tradition would have a bigger presence there yeah not really much at all right uh, and uh so <laughs> i, I think I be, for beer intro. fans they get it and they go there and they taste those beers but,
0: right uh just in general not so much um but is there like a local drink and local alcoholic drink that's not beer that's been around for centuries? Yeah, I
1: mean in Hungary, uh, wine is a really big deal, and they have wonderful right. wines, and, Yeah.
0: and they have something.
1: They they have they have spirits as well, but um, I am not going to freelance and right. try to guess <laughs> what those are called right now. Uh, but they, yeah, so they have a they have a kind of rich drinking culture that. It, it, in Hungary, that isn't any, you know beyond the beer. I think beer. Uh, I, th- I think it's a big beer drinking country. Like they drink a lot of liters of beer a year. But right. um, uh, yeah, they have other stuff to drink too. But
0: what was it about um, uh, Germany and, and the Czech Republic? Was it the fact that they had the climate for hops? I mean, what sort of drove it originally? Do you know, or do you do you have a theory?
1: Well, I think it was it was lager beer. So uh, the I mean it was, so it was everybody everybody kind of had their own funny little uh, ale tradition mm. if you go back far enough and that was the case in northern germany but in bavaria you have this lager beer tradition and it was really uh, you know it was very influential uh we had famously anton dreher in, in austria uh would he would go to england to learn how to make pale malts but when he came back to Austria. Uh, to vienna where he made his first vienna lager he used that technology uh the malting technology to make pale malts but he wanted to make lager beer because the lager beer was the thing that was so cool and that was uh the same country as as bohemia at that time Mm -hmm. so so those those three things kind of developed out of this this big bavarian tradition
0: yeah i'm just curious like if there was if that displaced some long held tradition of drinking some other beverage and but uh, I don't know. I'm yeah, I'm curious even... about how things get started in the world. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I,
1: I am very curious about that, too. I will confess that when I was in Budapest, I spent a huge amount of time uh, kind of reading about the history of Hungary and especially of Budapest. It is a weirdly compelling narrative. Uh, I mean, so many places in Europe have very interesting histories, but right. Hungary's is especially interesting. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of fell in love with that history. Um for example teaser uh the second communist country communist government in the world was in hungary which lasted all of five months in 20 i uh, sorry 1918 i think ah. so um it was the hungarian uh soviet socialist republic or something like that right and it and it collapsed um but and then you know the the, the country sort of shifted right became an axis country mm. um and then swung back to the communist side. So it's, there's a bunch of fascinating stuff that happened there, and that's just that's just the 20th century. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you go back far enough, and it just gets interesting the whole way back. So yeah. uh, it's a very it's a very cool city. So I I spent a lot of time looking into that, which how- is, people probably don't care about. My secondhand s- brief study of the history of Budapest.
0: <laughs> but I'm um, curious about the conference. How big was the conference? Uh, how big? is the craft beer scene in these countries and sort of, I don't know, I don't even know what kind of metric you'd use, but I'm just kind of curious. Like
1: it was a really small conference, like a couple hundred people. Okay. And, uh, there were, you know, um, you know, breweries were not sending giant groups. So that represented quite a number of breweries from, uh, countries around the region. And I think it's, it's a valuable one thing that's kind of hard to remember is that, uh, we we have in the United States now all the, the sort of supportive structures that help the brewing industry, um, but places in other countries don't necessarily have brewery fabricators and yeast labs and hop fields and right. all that stuff. Yeah. So these conferences are valuable for breweries to get together and figure out you know where do you eat your bottles? How do you navigate these things? Where do you you know? How, what yeast strains we're, we're trying to make this american ipa you know i heard on craft beer and brewing blog that you use this kind what do you guys use that kind of stuff it's good to get together and share that information so you're decanting our romanian beer this is amin Masurs. i'm gonna probably mispronounce your last name amin i'm sorry i can't remember how people were pronouncing it uh Maktoub brewing
0: and speaking of american beer culture this is in fact called a west coast ipa clean
1: cut yeah there were a bunch of west it was interesting i think i saw more west coast ipas uh in hungary from all countries than i saw hazies which is kind of interesting because hazies this, are still clearly very popular this seems
0: like a collab is that correct? it
1: is a collab so part of it is amin um does not have his own brewery sort of a a uh Nomad Brewer, right? And so he he is he went, he was at the the fest and we or at the conference. I can't want to call it a fest, and he was talking about uh, his his background and he he's interesting. He uh, he's from North Africa, I think, uh, maybe Morocco mm, originally.
0: Yeah. His name would perhaps. And then
1: he was uh, he spent time in uh, Mongolia. I think um, he was teaching English. He speaks almost accentless. English, Um, and then he got into brewing. I think it was in, was maybe China, uh, somewhere in the Far East. Uh, He started home brewing, and then he became a brewer when he. And I can't even remember how he got to Romania to Bucharest, but he he started (laughs) he started brewing there, uh, and he is busily working towards setting up his own brewery, um, and meanwhile doing nomad
0: beers where he can. So uh, this is a modern. He calls it a modern West Coast IPA. No caramel malts, loaded with uh, new wave hops. So in, in, with some old ones. Uh, new Wave: El Dorado, pipes, Idaho, so, uh, Chinook, and a touch of Columbus.
1: Huh. All right. Well, let's give it a. It smells quite nice. And it's uh, it's very juicy smelling. I get kind of a creamsicle thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which is definitely spot on. I, I mean, even in America, a lot of people really interpret West Coast lager, or West Coast IPA a lot of things.
0: Yeah, on the nose, it's it is spot on. On the yeah. nose, you would if you were served this in a Portland pub, you'd be like, oh yeah, totally. This is gonna be good. <laughs> that's pretty
1: pretty spot on on the palate too.
0: It lacks a little little bitterness, I think.
1: Yeah, I think that's definitely a. a a typical presentation. It's not. Yeah. Um, it's not out of sync with many many styles.
0: Yeah, I, I, sorry, I didn't mean that. Sounded very critical. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's really good. I just mean that. Um, I, I in my mind, I was comparing it to what I'd be served in a Portland pub, and uh, the West Coast IPA that sort of dominates the Portland pub is one that's very aromatic um, and juicy, but has a, a fairly pronounced bitter spine. Not 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 overwhelming, but just it's there to balance.
1: Yeah, and this one uh, I think the flavor profile is very much like the aroma. It's again, it's pretty creamsicle, um, and it's uh, I there there is bitterness here though. Yeah, there is uh,
0: bitterness. Yeah, uh, and it's pretty dry. It's not cloyingly sweet or anything. It's quite because because I, I think the creamsicle might suggest that, mm. but it's not. It's just a very nice, lush, um, uh, fruity flavor profile. It's nice. I like it. Yeah, this is actually
1: uh, a better. <laughs> A better example of this style than anything I had in Hungary. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I don't know; it's not clear what Hophead Brewing is, but that's the collab with a place called Hophead Brewing. There you go. But um, I'm not sure. I think it might be a local.
1: Yeah, Amin is a real beer nerd. He he uh, he had a there was a meet the brewer session uh-huh. at the conference, and he was the brewer, uh, and he just consumes information everywhere he can about beer um, and there's quite a bit if you're willing to if you're willing to dig deep and read white papers and look at research and stuff you there's a lot of stuff you can look at so yeah. um, that's another great asset that brewers have
0: yeah well speaking of the Hungarian examples which you say weren't quite there yet this is pretty much there mm-hmm. he's got it pretty dialed in um, yeah this
1: is badass <laughs>
0: I would call it little little west east coast because the, the sort of lack of bitterness is what I consider more East Coast but but it's lovely
1: yeah and it it actually is a, I would call it a really typical appearance for a Portland IPA you know? it's yeah
0: <laughs> it's light so no no more caramel malt so it's it's kind of light straw colored uh-huh. uh it's got a little bit of haziness
1: yeah like two point five on the hazometer
0: <laughs> two point five on the hazometer which is nice I like that yeah. just a little bit of haze uh, yeah I would I would totally drink this. House in a pub, and I'd be very happy to be served sure this.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, uh Andre and Amin, for, for go Amin. sharing these, these bottles. Uh, Somebody give this guy a brewery. They were
0: fresh <laughs>
1: and in yeah. good shape, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Good job bringing
0: them back. Thank you. Uh, the only time fiddle. that
1: they were not perfectly refrigerated was on the plane, <laughs> and it was winter, so they should have been pretty cool down in the belly of the beast there. Yeah, and it's pretty cold up there. That's down, what I mean. Forty thousand feet. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially in winter. We were flying up over Greenland too, so you know, probably kept them pretty cool. Yeah, I was a little anxious about the bottles in the in the yes the bag, but they they survived.
0: Yeah, yeah. I remember when we brought bottles, I think both to and fro from from England. Uh, I think I might have brought a bottle or two back. But yeah, having having glass bottles in your Suitcase, just feel (laughs) a feeling of dread. Yeah. Oh, man, some ramp rat's going to throw that thing around. (laughs) Kind of beer-saturated clothes. Yes, totally. Uh, Okay, we should probably uh, jump to the mailbag because we do actually have a mailbag. We do. uh, Entry. Uh, Should I go ahead and... Yeah, I'll go ahead. Go, man, go. So um, this is from uh, Taylor uh, Vido. Sorry, Taylor Video. I also, V-I-Y-D-O. So, yeah, yeah, choose your own pronunciation. Sorry, Taylor, please let us know. Uh, From Spokane. Mm -hmm. All right, Spokane. I was in Spokane not too long ago. Let's go, Spokane. Uh, What does, he writes, what does the future hold for the once almighty Cascade Hop? Uh Aha. What once seemed like a staple ingredient on beer menus now feels like a thing of the past. What do production numbers tell us, and what's the vibe from industry experts? You're going to be the one to go to on this. But I would just say that it, it seemed like it was dying, but I feel like there's a slight little renaissance now. So, so tell I look, me if I'm right. Well,
1: I looked up this, the numbers, okay, because I was curious about this. I think uh, you're right. I think we're all looking at, uh, you know, <laughs> beers, beers like Amiens. Yeah. This doesn't have Cascade, right? I mean, <laughs> Yeah. Was
0: that not one of the ones? No, it wasn't. I think that's pretty uh, typical. Chinook and Columbus were there, but no Cascades.
1: Yeah. You know, we're seeing some old school hops. Chinook is a, is a classic. Simcoe, Centennial, all these hops are, are surviving in modern IPAs, but not so much Cascade. So I was curious when I looked at the, the most recent uh, numbers, which, are, uh, which just came out for the last harvest, And Cascade is the fourth most popular hop, most planted hop. These are acreage numbers. All right. Uh, Fourth, a little, around 4,500 acres. Um, And it actually had uh, a cool graph of the most popular hops by year going back, I don't know, eight years or something. And Cascade has had really stable acreage for the last four years. It was a little bit higher it, was, it, it came down but has plateaued out. Yeah. So I don't know who's using the Cascade, but somebody is because there's a lot of Cascade it's out there. It's
0: such a good hop. Well, so here's my, and again, anecdotes. But I feel like a lot of brewers these days are brewing these modern West Coast IPAs, a lot of modern hops, and then including Cascades as well to give it a little sort of piney floral mm. along with the juicy, citrusy. Uh, I, I feel like I'm encountering more of those beers. So that's why I said, I wonder if it's having a little bit of renaissance. And I love them. I think they're great. I think the Cascades is a nice balance.
1: I love the Cascade Hop. And I wish I found, you know, it used to be in every beer and it was a... a,
0: Flavor I love, and I yep.
1: kind of wish there was a little bit more of it. I wish a brewery would, every now and again, go go nice old school. <laughs> I think it's coming. I, I just feel
0: like yeah, we're, that there's a there's a newfound appreciation for Cascades. I think it's going to come back. It is. It is. We'll our, make it happen. It's our
1: noble hop. You <laughs> yeah. know, it's it's such a gorgeous hop. It's got gorgeous balance. You can do basically anything with it. It bitters beautifully. Um, I don't know. I actually yeah. don't know how well it works as a dry hop, but I and know. the concept
0: of pale ale is coming back. Too, and I feel like that's another easy way you could sort of slip in a nice old school Pacific Northwest cascade. And
1: pale. that may be where some of these acres are going because yeah. you know, Sierra Nevada, Mirror Pond, there's some old school. Pale. I was gonna say, Sierra Nevada
0: itself probably counts <laughs> for a lot of that cascades yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, well, thank you, Taylor, for your uh comment, and for the rest of you, please um, send your uh, questions, comments, suggestions in. Um, and we'll tell you how right now so a few a few words going out uh please subscribe on apple soundcloud spotify audible or wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to rate us
1: five stars
0: please and and tag us and subscribe and And yeah
1: we've been falling down on the job so things may be a little bit rugged get yeah like send out your semaphores get people back to the blog pod we're, we're, we're back
0: yeah we've been we've been well jeff's been bad um it's all his fault <laughs> but yeah but we would love to hear from you so please send your questions or comments suggestions for uh topics on future pods please um, do it jeff at beervonablog.com is the email or on instagram at beervana pod is uh, basically our now social media presence that's right. We've we caught, have
1: a Twitter presence, but I haven't been to that site in the yeah, dog's age.
0: That, that, that uh, post-apocalyptic hellscape. Yeah. Was, <laughs> was sort of abandoned. So we're going hard on the Insta. Yeah. Insta. <laughs> <laughs> Just in time for it to be the next, last, or whatever, the the thing people have abandoned. Okay. Yeah. Jeff blogs at the Birvana blog, and he tweets at Birvana, and we both Instagram, we both Run the beer vana pod Instagram. So cheers,
1: and Jeff. you you were you were adic- you were appropriately uh, castigating me for not not getting on the the pod or the Insta. So I I, I threw a couple of things. Yes, yeah, so you want to
0: see some uh, Prague and Buddha and Pest. That's all right. three, <laughs> go go on the Insta. All right, cheers, Jeff. Cheers, Patrick.